Hello and welcome to the Ocean Rowing Club podcast, where each week I will talk to a past ocean rower to get their unique view on the ocean rowing experience. My guest this week is Sally Kettle. Hey Sally, please introduce yourself. Hi there. Um, so my name's Sally Kettle. I am in my 40s and I live now in North Wales. So uh, the very northern westerly tip of North Wales is about as far as you can go. So um, yeah, yeah, I rode across the Atlantic twice. And the first time I did it, I was attempting to do it with my my boyfriend at the time. His name was Tomo. This was back in 2003. Um, and unfortunately, he had epilepsy and had an epileptic seizure four days out. So we had to return to Lagomero, which is where we started that year. And um, that one was um, organised by Challenge Business. And we came back to the UK, tails between our legs. And I asked my mum if she would come with me. And we got back in the boat about three months later in 2004. And we rowed across in 106 days, um, becoming the first mother and daughter to row in the ocean, which was kind of cool. Um, and that was actually organised by the Ocean Rowing Society. I think it's the only actual um, organised regatta that they've done. And and it was awesome. Life-changing. The second one was with the Row Girls and there were four of us and we entered into the Woodvale Atlantic Ocean Rowing Race in 2005. And um, it took us 77 days. We started as a four, ended as a three. It was a complete disaster, um, mostly because of the horrendous weather. And um, yeah, we limped in third from last, having attempted to try and break a speed record. So they're my two ocean rows. And um, yeah, I could totally change my life. Now, there is going to be a slight break to format this week. If you have listened for a while, you may have figured out that these aren't live interviews. I send the questions over to the guests and they record their answers and send them back to me. Sally's story is awesome, but I cannot separate out a lot of her answers. So first up, we have a mix, which includes why did you want to row an ocean, your top highlights, the hardest parts physically and mentally, and the post-adventure blues. I was having what I would say was a bit of a quarter life crisis. I was in my twenties at the time and I'd just done the London Marathon. So, um, I wanted a big challenge and thought that going to um, do the Lands End John O'Groats with Tomo would be a really cool expedition. And I suggested that to him and he said, no, I couldn't go because <laughs> he was going to take his best mate. So, um, that was a, a non-starter, but he then suggested that we rode across the Atlantic. And at that point, I'd never heard of it. I just hadn't even been in my, I, I, you know, I, I originally come from Northampton, which is about as far away from the sea as you can possibly get um, in the UK. And even though I can swim, I get terribly seasick. So the idea of rowing kind of filled me with both excitement and horror. <laughs> but I needed something to change my life. I was I was ready to do something different. And I think lots of people have that sense of, you know, getting a bit jittery and thinking, oh God, is this all that life can offer you. And and I certainly felt that. But also I was struggling really quite badly with um, my own kind of self-confidence and self-esteem really. And I had, um, I, I think I kind of can confess that I probably had eating disorders in my teens. And and if I'm honest, I kind of saw the ocean row as a means to stay skinny. Um, and it completely changed the way I thought about myself in that I, um, well, I realised that actually, one, you've got to put on weight before you go and that you need to feel 
your body to be capable of achieving these things. And so I, well, I discovered actually I'd rather be fit than thin. And that was a big psychological difference for me. So um, it was interesting actually when I called up the the race organisers because it, it wasn't mulling around for very long before I decided, you know, let's see what, you know, what's the, let's see what's entailed. And um, yeah, I, I rang them up and, and I honestly thought that um, they'd, they'd say no. So I kind of thought, well, I'll give them a ring. <laughs> They'll say no anyway, but at least I tried. And um, they said, oh, no, 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 join in. <laughs> Just to pay the, the uh, registration fee, which wasn't very much, but actually felt like a huge amount of money for me at the time because I've just come out of university and, and um, well, you know, I was in a kind of not a crap job, but, you know, not the best paying job. It was like, like 150 quid. And I honestly thought, you know, one, I needed to be a man because at that time, really only men were rowing oceans. And, and, and I also thought maybe I'd needed to be a rower and actually know how to row. And they totally reassured me that as long as, you know, you're prepared to, to do the training, anybody can achieve it. So, um, yeah, I paid the money and I called Tomo and said, we've entered the race and it was going to happen in a year and a half's time, which kind of felt just about right, really. I think, you know, for many ocean rowers in the prep, you know, the first part of it, the first kind of year is you sort of finding your thinking, uh, feet and kind of feeling really passionate and, and getting out there and, you know, finding all the information you can from as many people as you can. And then the second half of it is trying to get all the money you can and the boat too. I know that when we were trying to um, fundraise, we, we were really well supported actually because we decided to row for a charity called the Fund for Epilepsy, which was based in the hometown um, in Thomas hometown. So um, yeah, they were really, really keen to kind of give us as much support as possible. And and we had people bucket shaking for us all over the country. It was quite extraordinary, actually. And we raised loads of money. I think we'd raised all the money to get to the start of the race and then £268,000 for the charity on top. So, you know, it was remarkably successful in terms of a campaign. But of course, in terms of the actual row, we didn't kind of make it. But there was a part of me that had said, you know, gosh, it, we'd spent so long trying to pull this off and pull this together. And I honestly thought people thought we wouldn't be able to make it. I mean, if they looked at us, Tomo and I, they'd just think we were complete idiots. <laughs> we really were green behind the girls. And, you know, we, we hardly took our boat out. One, because we didn't get it until quite last minute. And two, because we just were frightened of going off the coast of the UK and we'd been told that it was proper scary and you're more likely to hit tankers and land and be swept off, you know, down the English Channel. So, you know, when we got to Lagomera, we really were very novice. But so many people have said, oh, you know, as long as you last the first two weeks, you'll make it all the way across. And actually, funny enough, I wonder if that's sort of the way that people are told now, you know, if they speak to us veteran rowers, two weeks and you'll make it across. And, you know, just and somebody had also said, um, go south until the butter melts and turn right. And they kind of, that's what, you know, that's what we had in our mind is that as long as we could just sit it out, we would make it across. And I don't know where we kind of got that confidence from. But I do remember when we did actually start in Lagomera, I just felt so afraid to my gut afraid. I was weeping on the pontoon. It was just awful. And actually I can't, there's part of me that wished there wasn't all the rigmarole before the race that we could just disappear in the night you know just get up and say right we're ready now and mooch over get in your boat and go all the fanfares and all the people and the expectation I found really kind of quite traumatic and I don't know how other people other rowers feel about that but certainly if I ever did it again I I probably wouldn't go with all that glory (laughs) I probably would slip off at dawn and just go in my own time the second row was a completely different kettle of fish and you know when 
um, well, mum and I made it across and actually I phoned her while I was still on the boat with Tomo and it was kind of all going wrong. He'd had his seizure, he was sleeping, but we were both horribly seasick. You know, all that kind of anxiety kind of came to the fore. It was really, really really tough and um, we were out in the the racing you know what is the, the the kind of like that funnel effect when you have all the the winds going through the islands and that first bit is really choppy and all over the place and you kind of like you're sick and you're full of adrenaline and you can't sleep and oh, it's just horrible and, and um you know we could still see bloody lagomera which just <laughs> seems to take forever to go and i and i honestly thought Tom is not going to make it across and you know I'm going to have to we're going to have to go back and so we called the support yacht and then after that I called my mum who was kind of holidaying in Tenerife with my family so they'd come to see us off and they decided to spend some more time there so I called her and said do you want to come and she said yes and I said bring more tea bags and she met us back in Lagomera but again you know she's a gardener from Northampton and she's short and at that time she was in her kind of late 40s and they just the race organizers just said you know you're never going to catch up with the rest of the fleet so you're going to have to be disqualified and 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 that was that really um yeah and we came back to the UK and the Ocean Rose Society gave us a call and said do you fancy entering as the only women in the race as a women's pair and we said yes and I had two months to teach my mum to row and um like I said we rowed across in 106 days we had her ups and downs but actually we were by far she was the best teammate she was just just awesome and um like i said it was completely life-changing and completely changed our relationship with each other um i hadn't really spoken to her for nearly 10 years before that race um yeah there was a lot of water under the bridge and i was determined not to bring up all the troubles of the past and to really look to the future and my mum kind of took a step towards me and and we rekindled our relationship and it's been extraordinary ever since so just just brilliant um came back did the thing with the charity yay you know shook the hand of the doctor of epileptology at king's college hospital that we managed to fundraise all the money for dumped on uh and decided you know what yay that was great we got on bbc breakfast and you know there wasn't the social media like there is now so we weren't really able to kind of connect with people as as much as they do they do now and, and actually funny enough we went to um at woman's hour and i was really cross about this i kind of like i wanted my 15 minutes of fame and they said oh another lot of ocean rowers we've already spoken to one of those and it was four years ago and it was deborah deborah real as she was then deborah real and um so you know now it's so cool to see so many ocean rowers featured in the media because at the time they just weren't picking it up i, I don't know why and, and so many documentary makers have come back and said oh god i wish you'd you know wish we'd known about this I was thinking yeah well lots of you did and actually nobody was really interested in two women you know rowing Atlantic together they just weren't and and in lots of ways they sort of still aren't and I keep banging a drum about getting you know more female adventurers on television it's just not happening and it's like been 10 years of kind of trying to get something off the ground um in terms of you know seeing being a female adventurer on television and it's just still not happening so you know I'm kind of um resigned to the fact that it won't be me anymore <laughs> doing those things but I would love to see some women achieving that and and certainly ocean rowing is a gateway to it but you know until the execs at television change their mind and pull their finger out yeah it's still uh, a drum to bang anyway lecture over so the second race I really wanted to be a big fish in a big pond <laughs> you know I kind of had done this amazing thing and I was buoyed by that kind of excitement of it all and you know kind of just 
it was extraordinary and sort of terrible at the same time because when I came back, I lost my flat. Um, I'd been renting it out to, funny enough, a friend of Thomas and he hadn't been paying the rent and I defaulted on my mortgage. I spiralled into debt. It was just horrible. Um, ended up moving back in with my parents, which was nice, but kind of a, a bit demotivating. The relationship with the charity sort of went a bit queer. And um, and of course, then I you know split up with Tombo and I kind of thought, well, how can such an amazing adventure really, amazing road, turn out to be so shit at the end of it <laughs> if I'm honest um so I was really keen to kind of get back out there again and kind of prove my worth not just as a as a rower but to potentially get a world record to get a speed record but also to manage a, a, a challenge that kind of had the rower's needs at its heart really I kind of felt on the first one we were just raising money for charity and um the support team were incredible in caring for us but as soon as that was done it was like well you know bog off and that was really hurtful and I found that whole kind of I was quite embittered by that process and that was part of the the motivator for kind of doing it again and so I pulled together a team of three of the girls and we were the row girls we had a, a carbon Kevlar boat on the second one built by Woodvale and the first one was one of the the old-fashioned um kind of glue it together yourself type boats um the wooden ones yeah so we successfully got to the start of the race and I have to admit we kind of thought well at the time we thought we were the only female four going across so we just thought, well, as long as we get get across, we'll get a record for being first. And then, you know, if we really pull our finger out, we'll also see if we can be the fastest. And unfortunately, we went into the worst weather in the Atlantic for nearly 200 years. And we hit the tail end of a hurricane and two tropical storms. Joe, one of my crewmates, slipped and hurt her back and she wanted to get off the boat. And it was just, we went from being the fifth in the race, the fastest women's team, because there was another women's team from Guernsey called Mission Atlantic. And, and to be honest, we only really wanted to beat them because then we'd get the, you know, the first record. And we sort of didn't care about the other the other teams. But of course, as soon as Joe hurt herself, it just, it all went a bit tits up, really. Morale just completely fell through the floor for her and for us. And the weather was bad. We were miserable. It was wet all the time. It wasn't like the one with my mum where we had whales and we had, we, we grew cress and we had, you know, wildlife come visit. This was just a hard and horrible and painful slog. And Joe decided she wanted to go off. And that's exactly what she did in the support yacht came and picked her up and um during that race i think it was 26 boats took parts um i think it's 16 capsized and nine didn't self-right you know rows were being rescued all over the bloody place and it was really really frightening really frightening i mean we didn't turn over at any point but you know at times we thought we wouldn't make it till morning and it was yeah really scary and I felt like you know we as a team had to battle really just to stay alive in that one and we lost our rudder too and um, we had to set up a jerry rig rudder over a rope and some t-shirts and the water bottle which then attracted a shark which came and attacked our boat and took the whole system off the back of the boat there was a lot of screaming <laughs> yeah but as a uh, skipper I nominated one of the girls to go out and tackle it which I, <laughs> which I did um, and lovely Sue stepped out and cut the rope to the back of the boat and uh, a couple of days later Claire and I jumped Claire my other teammate and I jumped in the water swam around the back and there was a hole in the bloody in the boat yeah so we really were up against it and unfortunately the Woodfell boat was really not fit for purpose the scuppers were in the in the wrong place and so water kept pooling and it was pooling into our um into our la- um, our hatches and our water maker broke and lots of food was damaged and we ended up having to have um a water refill from the support yacht and um, and some food as well it was just messy just really really messy and we limped in you know, like I said third from last and I was like proper cross I was like 
really pissed off. You know, we had so I had so much hope for that trip and so many expectations of our imminent win. You know, we, we were going to make it. Oh yeah, man, we, we we look good on paper. The boat looked good on paper, but the boat was crap. You know, the team was dispersed, and and as a skipper, I just found a huge amount of my time after Joe had left, kind of feeling very very vulnerable and paranoid about my leadership. About about the decisions we were making and, and you know it was just it was just messy and um, came back and it took me a hell of a long time to really get over that trip and to really focus on the lessons learned from it and, and to put it in perspective and I've been quite lucky actually I suppose to have a really successful speaking career and being able to retell the story again and again and to be asked questions about it that have really given me insight into what was truly happening on both the roads really and to kind of put those demons to bed and to see the value in in what was achieved um, and how we you know in both crews we really worked as a team you know despite being uh, against the odds and to appreciate that actually on the second one nobody broke any records we were amazed that we got alive at all and that's you know we we triumphed um, against the odds I think that's what it was even though we didn't get what we wanted so it was it was tough I found it tough what did you miss most while you were at sea? Weirdly, I miss cities. I sort of miss cities and I miss kind of being around the hubbub of people, just not even people I knew, just kind of general kind of crowded people and big buildings and things, just being around life. I really miss that. I missed an electric toothbrush and that sounds daft because, you know, kind of brushing your teeth. It doesn't, you know, I, I kind of was sort of happy in the fester mode. So I was actually really happy being dirty. I didn't, that didn't bother me. It really bothered my mum. She absolutely hated it. She hated being filthy all the time. But my teeth, I really, really wanted to brush my teeth properly and to do it with an electric toothbrush. So I really missed that. And then I missed a shower. I missed curry. Um, but funny enough, you know, when you get back, or certainly when I got back, a shower is just a shower <laughs> and a curry is just a curry. It's like the expectation of it is actually more exciting than the actuality of it. I suppose it's kind of a little bit like Christmas, isn't it? Where you kind of, it's the excitement, the build up that is actually the joy rather than the product at the end, you know, the opened present. And that's certainly how it felt that, um, and actually that was a real lesson for me in that, you know, deprivation really does give you an appreciation. And actually I really enjoyed being deprived because I certainly valued what it was like to have things. And actually one of the things that I really struggled with when I came home was how much stuff I did have and how much I hated that. I kind of felt like my snail shell was really, really heavy. And I've recently moved and, and again I kind of have that sensation of God having too much stuff, too much freaking stuff. I could just want to get rid of it all. You know, just lean it down to a little tube of toothpaste, one of those free sachets of moisturizer that you gotta make last three weeks. You you know, and the one um, wet wipe that you've got to use on your on your body every day. I sort of love that. I loved it. And I don't think many people get that experience of really kind of living on your wits and a wet wipe. And um, yeah, I, I really love that. How much training did you do before the row? So in terms of the training, I think we sort of got it all wrong. And I think that the thinking around it just wasn't there at the time. There weren't really that many people working in this sort of field to kind of give us the advice. So what we ended up doing is spending too much time on a bloody rower. And I think that was good in terms of our, um, you know, our emotions in that we would kind of thought, well, we can sit on a rowing machine for a long time. So that maybe will give us an idea of what it's like to sit on a rowing boat. But actually, 
you know, why prolong the agony with Rome when actually I think what we needed to do, especially as women, was to do more hypertrophy training. So that's um, strength training, building up muscle because we lost so much. I lost two and a half stone on the first one. Lots of fat, of course, but a huge amount of muscle. And in fact, it's been quite difficult to regain that muscle over the years. I actually trained as a personal trainer after and realised the kind of the mistakes I'd made. So, you know, for women, certainly, you know, building muscle mass would be an absolute must for anybody who's going to do an ocean row. Yeah, so that we got that wrong. In terms of the astral navigation and, and all that stuff, it, all of that was brilliant and kind of confidence building again. Most of that, thank God, we didn't need, but at least we knew if we had to. Yeah, so, you know, I, I kind of, I would do training courses every day because I kind of love them anyway. But in terms of the physical stuff, we did everything wrong. Did you suffer with any injuries, sores, nasties or sickness? So um, I didn't really get boils on my bum, which was good, but I was fastidious. So I used, um, I, I made sure every time I went into the cabin to rest, I would clean and powder and cream if necessary. So that's what I did. And I'm absolutely fastidious in that. But I did get salt sores, which were actually not as sore as I thought they were going to be, but they were quite unsightly. And I did have huge blisters on the second row. I sort of tried to persuade the girls who were river rowers that we needed kind of wood handles rather than rubberized one. Um, but they overruled me. And I'm, I was a bit annoyed about that because we ended up with a huge huge blisters on our hands, which were painful and, and annoying. And on the first one, my mum and I particularly got um, kind of tendonitis. So um, maybe the second one too, actually, where we'd wake up and our fingers would be like fat as sausages, not giant claw-like sausages that you kind of have to peel open and put over the top of your oar again. And um, it took ages for that tendonitis to repair when I got back. And I'm still not quite sure of my grip. Um, yeah, I think again, you know, with that and, and any advice for any potential rowers is to kind of really get back into the rehabilitation of your hands as soon as you can, just to kind of restore your grip strength and protect you against the tendonitis injuries, really. So they were the worst bits. I can't think of anything else that was particularly, oh, sciatic. Oh my God, my ass, my ass. Uh, I think this is one of the reasons I need to remind myself of this every time I think, oh, maybe I could do it again. No, your ass will hit you. And it will because the ten, uh, the sciatica on the second row was just incredible. Oh my God, it hurt to the point where I actually took some tramadol on board because it was so extraordinarily painful. And I had a, I had an allergic reaction to the tramadol and that was almost a does Sally need to get off the boat moment? That was awful. Ended up spending the whole night, the girls have been told by the medical team not to let me sleep. So I was kind of drifting in and out of conscious, I kind of like completely collapsed. It was the weirdest feeling. So travel not my thing. Um, yeah, so um, the, yeah, sciatica was dreadful and um, definitely one of the things I need to remember if I'm ever tempted to do it again. Which three songs remind you of the row? We listened to, well, I, when I say we, I listened to on the first row, um, lots of Christina Aguilera. Oh my God, and Muse. Oh, I don't know. We had um, a mini disc player. Do you remember them? A mini disc player. And I had Muse, the album, their first album. And it was just extraordinary to listen to the drummer in particular in that band. Oh my God, it's bloody master. So yeah, that whole first album of Muse was just, just brings me straight back onto the boat. Um, Christina Aguilera, uh, Carol King. My mum and I listened to that all the time, Carol King. Oh, and, uh, and the second one was around Christmas on the second race. And Sue's favourite, one of her favourite Christmas songs was The Pogues. And we would sing that out to each other quite a lot. Yeah, so 
yeah, they're the sort of songs that bring me back. And Robbie Williams, I know it's embarrassing, but I actually quite like his songs, even though I don't like him. So he made a, a bit of a show on the boat as well. What advice do you have for future ocean rowers? Be kind. <laughs> be kind to yourself, be kind to each other. This is probably the only time you're ever going to do it. And um, quite frankly, it is, can be really proper shit out there. And, you know, make the other, your other rowers tea, you know, make them, doesn't have to be, doesn't have, you don't, there's something about these hard expeditions. When you're suffering, you become selfish. And I've been lucky to be a professional adventurer now for 15 years post rowing. And I see it all the time. And that's people stop being kind to other people, not just in what they say not so much that but just little mini acts of kindness you know preparing the cabin for when your crewmate goes in so that when you kind of tumble out at three o'clock in the morning they're not tumbling into all your mess it makes a massive difference you know to kind of supporting each other in that way really help morale so there's kindness there's fastidiousness so keeping yourself clean and creamed and powdered and looking after your body in the best possible way just because it's you're dirty and because it's hard and because you're tired and you can't be bothered, do not relinquish your responsibility when it comes to caring for your body because the side effects over the years will really come back to haunt you, you know, around your hands, around your back. Um, like I was saying, you know, around your blisters. I mean, that's not going to have long-term consequences, but the, I don't know if people have heard of kinetic chain stuff, but as soon as one thing starts to hurt, you change the way the body moves into probably a less kind of comfortable way, which will can have long-term effects so care for your body while you're out there um and put on muscle ladies put on muscle before you go because you will lose it and you'll find it very difficult to regain it and enjoy it really sit back and and um and watch the whales you know for those of you who are going for records i get it i i did that i get it and i'm sure the glory will be amazing when you get to the end but there's probably only one or two times in your life that you'll ever sit and have a you know pygmy sperm whale staring you in the face and quite frankly you'll never get that again so you know try and enjoy it if you can and and i think that's it really um i hope you've enjoyed listening to my pearls of wisdom <laughs> i'm not sure about that but um good luck to everybody who wants to row and hello to everybody who's done it yay Huge thank you to Sally for sharing her story and all of her advice. I loved every minute of that. She really did take us on a roller coaster ride, and that sums up ocean rowing pretty perfectly. If you're an ocean rower and would like to share your story, please get in touch, the ocean rowing club at gmail.com or via Instagram at the ocean rowing club. If you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to rate and review and give it five stars on Apple Podcasts. And you can now rate it five stars on Spotify too. Like and share and recommend it to all of your friends. And don't forget to join us again next week when we go back across the Indian Ocean and find out how to row when you are living with Parkinson's disease. Doodle pip.